Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spesh. Hello. Question for you, Derek. <laughs> I'll see if I have an answer. When you're paddling. Yes. In your canoe. Yes. And you come up to the shore. Okay. Do you get out of your canoe while the canoe is still floating, or do you beach it? Is this a question for when my canoe is new or now that my canoe is about 15 years old? Either or both and neither. <laughs> I used to be very careful. I used to baby the canoe and uh, I would only beach it softly on beaches, sand beaches. Mm-hmm. And now I kind of don't really pay don't give too much ass. attention. Yeah, the, 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 that canoe has served me well and uh, it's. It, I think it's almost bulletproof. Really? That's what you figure the skid plates are for? Well, the skid plates are almost gone. Oh. <laughs> I am of the school where the canoe should still be floating at least a foot of water when you get out. Yes. Um, I'm always the last person out of the canoe. And I'm only bringing this subject up because of the trips I've been on so far this year. Um, and trips I've been on in the past where okay. I know people just ran that sucker oh, yeah, yeah, right yeah, up yeah. on on shore and I know some people you know they don't like to get their feet wet or yeah and and a couple of trips you know the last trip even I was on this it's just like okay you know what stop us before we hit the ground yeah and it's like you hear <laughs> and you're like, oh. <laughs> I mean yeah there's scratches already so it's not yeah. gonna make a difference but um, I, I'm a firm believer if if you're floating in less than a foot of water then you know what Get your butt out. Yeah, you can get out and walk. You know, you yeah. prop your your, mm-hmm. your paddle on one side. You stick a foot out the other. Yeah. Stand up, get out. Hold the canoe, or pull it a bit forward. Yeah. And then when I'm in a, in shallow enough water, I get out, sort of thing. But I'm always the last one out of the canoe. If if it's a if yeah if it's a sandy beach, then you know what? Then pull me up once you're out. Yeah. Um, or I mean, yeah, I mean, there's even times where I just get out regardless. You know, as long as it's not you know up to my hip. Yeah. Sort of thing. If there's a rocky shoreline, I do the old Tokyo drift sort of thing. Oh, okay, yeah. So I'm leaning towards and then just exactly, yeah. Hammer the yeah. hammer the paddle and slide the back end right yeah. around and come to the side, right? Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, I then yeah, step out from the side and. Uh, For me, the logistics are slightly different right now, just because, uh, like, well, the trip I just did with the family, I have a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, and then my wife, right? Right. So. I try and get in as close as possible because I'm I'm usually out first because right. so and I don't want to jump in the water in hip deep water so I try and get as close as possible let's either drift in or or I usually nose right in and, and paddle up hard onto a beach and then I can hop out and lift the kids out so they don't get their feet wet and help my wife out and stuff like that right so but usually if I'm with somebody else it's like yeah I'll kind of drift in and get your feet wet type thing right there's mm-hmm. there's no babying when i'm out with uh, if i'm out with somebody else right so yeah it's it's it really depends on who i'm out with right yeah guaranteed getting into the canoe the canoe is not touching ground yeah right? oh yeah 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 definitely because you, you can't really paddle when you're anchored to the shore <laughs> see and when i pull into shore i'm the last one out yeah but when we're leaving i'm the last one in oh, okay yeah always that's just the way it, i'm first out last in yeah, that's just yeah. the way it goes. So anyway, just yeah, just a curious question because of all the trips I've pulled the, this year already, and yeah. you know, people just you know, and like I say, past trips where people just don't like to get their foot mm-hmm. wet. I was looking at my canoe just on the last trip, and uh, I can see the 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 fibers 
underneath oh, yeah? on the yeah. So the it's a Kevlar canoe, but the uh, the skid plates are are fiberglass or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the I can see all the fibers, and I can see some of the empty little hollow spots where it's ground down and into it. But yeah, see, my canoe's only a couple years old. Mine's like fifteen or so. Yeah, yeah, we got rid of ours. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cottage canoe, uh, but yeah, I mean my my skid plates are still pretty pretty good, but. It's 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 just like the back of my pickup truck. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, your 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 truck's still so so good in the back. Yeah. Well, if I don't need to beat the snot out of it, why yeah. would I beat the exactly. snot out of yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it just lasts that much longer. Yep. You know, and that's why I drove my last truck for twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, just a just a curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, you brought something to my attention the other day about tubing and drinking. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, I saw. I saw a couple people post it online, and uh, so I hadn't really thought about it, but it makes sense. Of course, when you go on a lazy river ride, mm-hmm. it's illegal to have booze, but you don't really think about it because it's a river. There's no. Are comp- you not talking about like the lazy river ride at Disneyland? Well, I, 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 I've never been on it, but are you allowed to have booze on that? I don't know. Hey, Mickey, pass me another one, buddy. <laughs> But yeah, it's one of those things because, uh, and the only reason why it popped into my head when I saw the thing, the posting was, uh, when we did the, uh, canoe polling with Stephen mm-hmm. Coots, we, the river we did in the speed river, Brantford, right? no, Guelph is Guelph. in Guelph. In Guelph yeah. So, yeah. So anyways, whatever river we did, it was, uh, we passed a whole bunch of people. Just, I was, yeah, I was there was a campground nearby. I was surprised to see it. And so I was like, what are those people doing? And they're just groups of people floating on tubes with with a, a, a bag full of beer and mm-hmm. it's like what are these people doing and they're saying that they just do this every weekend type thing right yeah and it's like oh that's kind of weird but it's big through the states as well i've noticed yeah yeah going out and just tying up and yeah having a couple of drinks well we did the uh the cow trough the drinking yeah. trough yeah uh, yeah yeah. Float <laughs> yeah yeah the tanking <laughs> yeah tanking that's it yeah, so anyways, it's it's like a depending on on what it is. I think it's like a hundred and forty dollar fine or something if you get caught with booze floating on a river or something like that. Uh, was it 125 or something? 150? Yeah, I don't Somewhere know. Somewhere in there, yeah. But yeah, it's like, oh, I never really. You don't think about that. You just think, oh, I'm gonna go in the lazy river and have a couple of beer. Because you're not technically in a boat. Yeah, but it yourself according to the law consider it self-propelled. Yeah. Plus, it's public drinking. Like a tube, yeah, like mm-hmm. an inner tube. You're still public drinking while yeah. and they on consider a self-propelled vehicle. Yeah, and when we were discussing it, we were like, "Well, wait a sec. If we're floating in the river with just a life jacket, yeah, is that a is that loophole? Because <laughs> yeah, if, I mean, if you just jump into the lake, yeah, or the river with your life jacket, yeah, that's not technically. Yeah, you're not self-propelled. You're just well, it's not technically a boat yeah or any sort of <laughs> not even floating. above yeah. the water yeah <laughs> so if you've got your beer yeah in your pfd yes floating <laughs> just float on past I, the cop and go wave take a swig and then he rests yeah yeah that is not to say i mean we're saying this in jest yes you know not to say we're, that we're not a, and we're not approving of this yeah but if you happen to try it out let us know <laughs> oh and another thing that came up too that i saw just when it talks about fines like for me i uh 
for you. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I told my canoe on a trailer to yeah. get up to Algonquin or whatever, oh, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So as it, and I had no idea until I saw this like two days ago. Uh, apparently, it is a ticketable offense if you have your trailer hitch in your receiver while you're not towing anything. If it blocks. And so that's where that's where I think it comes up to interpretation by the cop. Because I've seen, I, I was I read through a bunch of stories and comments. Some people got ticketed and they said, well, there's no way it blocked my license plate. Mm-hmm. And other people says, well, it has to block the plate. And it, is, it really depends on, I think it depends on the cop. And the cop was like, well, I'm going to get overtime to, uh, f- if you fight this ticket, so whatever. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I, depending on this section of code, some people, I've heard some people say that it was, a, in, this is all Ontario. So $115 fine, and there's a different fine for like like uh, 220 or something, depending on the section of code that they pull it from. Right. So it's uh, it's like, I, I never even thought of that, because I, I, oh, a month ago, I went on the family trip. My trailer hitch has been in the receiver since then. I haven't taken it out. See, I've dropped my trailer off a few times, and I don't take the the hitch out until I get home. Yeah, exactly, right? And then I throw it in the garage sort of yeah. thing, right? Now, just on that same vein, when they put in the 407 across Toronto. So that's a concern too, because it could block your plate and well, the no. camera things. And that, Well, it wasn't the hitch. I used to drive with my tailgate down because it was that whole oh. thing of the tailgate acts as drag. So, so, so you drive fuel. with your tail, tailgate down and you save fuel. Can they ticket you for that? Well... They couldn't until they put up the big signs saying, do not drive with the tailgate down as a ticketable offense. Uh-huh. And then I'm driving on the 420 or the 407 one day. I'm going, well, there's a new sign. <laughs> 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 and after that, I never drove with it down. Yeah. Um, but I think it all comes down to blocking the license your plate. license plate. Yeah. Because if you run from the cops, they've got your plate mm-hmm. sort of thing, right? Or if you do something wrong, yeah. somebody can get your plate number yeah. and call the cops, whatever. Hmm. And I think that's what it all comes down to. Yeah. So, and I know there's, there's in some of the things I was reading, it all comes down to, well, if you're a car, then chances are it's going to block your plate. Yeah. But if you're a big pickup truck or something, that's not blocking your plate. Because, I mean, it, it's coming up to the bottom of your bumper and then your plate's above your bumper in the middle of your bumper. I got to look at license plates now because I'm curious because I've never had a car where could possibly, the trailer hitch could possibly block it, Mm -hmm. right? Well, you're not pulling anything massive with a car anyway. Yeah. yeah. You got a little like class two tops. Yeah, exactly. It sits low underneath the bumper. Yeah. And uh, all the cars I've had, the license plates have been on the the hatch or the trunk. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, it's 18 inches away. Yeah. So Hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's. If the cops PMS in that day or something, or <laughs> yeah. whatever they do, I don't know. Yeah, but uh, no, I was I was weird that. Uh, but yeah, I, I do know that when we were when I was on the four hundred seven. Yeah. All of a sudden, one day I noticed that big sign saying it is a ticketable offense yeah. if you drive with your tailgate down. I'm like, damn! <laughs> so all well, that money I've saved on gas, I've now got to pay on a ticket. Well, for me, <laughs> in camping season and canoeing season. I'm always, I, I, I carry the canoe on the trailer, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's easier. I find it's more streamlined and, and I have the new car now and I tried the canoe up there like when I first got it and yep. I scratched the, scratched the crap out of the crossbars, right? It's like, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this brings up another point. When I put the canoes and kayaks on top of my truck, I've got that Yakima Y, like yes. the goalpost thing. 
oh, that goes into my trailer. That would block your plate. And it blocks right up the middle of my plate. Yeah. So. Well, it's in use. Yeah. But there's times where I'm driving and there's no canoe. Oh, trip. yeah. Like if I get home 10 o'clock at night from a canoe trip on Sunday. Yeah. And then I'm up you're and not out of the house by 6 in the morning. Yeah, you're driving to, to work go to with work. it in. I'm not pulling that off yeah. at 10 o'clock at night. I'm, I'm getting in the house, getting my gear in the house. I'm going to bed because I got to be up at five. I it, I think it might just act as an excuse for the police to pull you over sometimes. Maybe. Who just, knows? Uh, well, they do the old, you know, there's always the old, well, they got to reach their quota this week. <laughs> well, right. I don't know. About, I don't know if that's I don't know true about or not. Quota, but, but if, if they need an excuse to pull you over and stop you, it's like, oh, I'm going to check out this guy, see if he's, yeah. you know, suspicious or... Sir, you look like a redneck. <laughs> Sir, that's because I is. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, very, uh, very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Something to think about. It is. Um, What else? Oh, according to Derek, Noah's Ark oh, yeah, 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 was yeah. a coracle. <laughs> was Noah out there and paddling it? I, 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 I was just flipping through channels looking for something interesting. And it's like, hey. I, I had to go back a channel. It's like, hey, that that was a coracle, and then I started watching, and it started talking about Noah's Ark, and I'm thinking, interesting. So there was, well, like we talked about coracles in a previous episode, and mm-hmm. and how it's just a, episode a, 118, as a matter of fact. Is that what it was? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, we talked about coracles then, and uh, about their construction, how it's a it was a natural organic creation of a watercraft because it just it was easy. It uh, it was easy to build in that shape, mm-hmm. right? Anyways, so they uh, they what they said is uh, at the time that's how they built watercraft, like like a coracle, like a big dish on the water. Mm-hmm. And they said uh, they they estimate that or they guess or whatever. I don't know what they're basing their guesses on, but uh, the arc was like a sixty meter coracle. But coracles are like a circle. Like yes. round. So this was... But every picture I've seen this of the was, Noah's Ark... It was oblong. Yeah. Yeah. So it did show that. It, like, it showed various ideas. Did he bounce it off something and it got squished? <laughs> <laughs> but no, they uh, they ended up building one. They built an eight meter one. So it's okay. like... It was ended up being pretty big, but they said it was it was very cumbersome. But it, it they, they had to test the theory, right? So it's like... I, I, I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm watching something about the building of Noah's Ark, but <laughs> but it was the coracle. Noah, how long can you tread water? <laughs> so, but it was interesting. It was uh, it was fascinating to see about them somebody working back the design, right? Mm-hmm. And they went to they they went to India to do this, and they found a uh, a coracle builder. One of these ancient coracle builders, like this guy who's been doing it for like 60 years type thing. And they got him his input and they built a gigantic coracle. Really? It was neat. It was really neat. I just, <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like The theory is there. When, when you're sitting there thinking like, okay, a coracle is like an upside down umbrella without the stem sticking up. Yes. yes. Right, without the handle. Yeah. So if you've got, what'd you say, a 60 meter, Noah's Ark was 60 meter, round. Yeah. That's the size of a spaceship. 180, well, yeah. Well, there's another theory. Oh, there's another theory. (laughs) Noah, Noah and the animals came from space. (laughs) The elephant's a Martian. That's what happened to the unicorns. Yes. 
They didn't catch the trip back. Yeah. <laughs> it was a one-way ticket for them. The mermaids. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> you just told me that the other day. I'm thinking, no, Corkle's round. Do you not remember we talked about this? <laughs> Noah's Ark. No, everything I saw about Noah's Ark, it's oblong. And they showed pictures and diagrams of like a gigantic Corkle with a... With a with a ramp, like a, a, a house type thing built in the middle of it, and uh, with, and they showed like you know, hundreds and hundreds of animals circling the thing in the middle. Well, I guess it'd be like a giant track. Yeah, exactly. You just go around <laughs> and get their exercise. Yeah, keep walking, boys. <laughs> so not just standing around, right? Like as in the oblong Noah's Ark. Yes. Where are you going? It's yeah. all stables, right? Ooh. Interesting, eh? Yeah. Get the Pope on the line. <laughs> Told you we'd get him on the phone, and the cork on the show. Will, cork will be very stable in a large size like that. It would be a lot. More, well, yeah, it'd be a lot more in stable than, and... than an ark. I would yeah. think. But I think just because an ark, you'd think. Like, that's just the normal... Yeah, it's a long boat. A long boat, right? Yeah. Like a ship, like a tanker ship. Yeah. Like right? Steve so... Krell's episode. Or yeah, Steve yeah, Krell's yeah, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, okay. On that note. So, that was episode 118. Yes. We talked about that. Yeah. Episode 29. Okay. We'll go farther back. Dream sequence. <laughs> episode 29. I sat down with a group. Yes. I went across to New York State, mm-hmm. and I sat down with a group that paddled the meanest link through Algonquin Park. Yeah. Um, so the meanest link is a canoe trip. Basically, it's a large circle mm-hmm. through Algonquin Park. Yeah. Now, Algonquin Park is, what, 7,700 square kilometers. It's a big park. Mm-hmm. Every year or two, there's a group or two that attempt... Yep. The meanest link. And it's in sections. So you can do, you know, so, the, the, the the goal is to do all four sections. Exactly. Some people will do a section each year. If you only have so much time, you take yeah. a week to do per section. But if you're, like, there's a group that finished last week, I think it was. They did it in eight and a half days. They finished eight, eight last or nine week days. or did they just finish this week? They just finished. The, I, okay. I saw um, uh, Gord Baker posted it just yesterday or day before yesterday or something okay so the two guys got back and they they did it in a very quick time yeah like nine days or something yeah so yeah it seems to be a couple of weeks or yeah. the average yeah and so yeah so every couple of years somebody's attempting this and you do the 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 four sections some people do a couple section one year a couple sections the next year you can start at any one of the it start end points. It doesn't of the matter sections. where you start if you just do the full the loop. The full loop, right? Yeah. And there's criteria yes. that you have to follow. Mm-hmm. Right? So there is the. Now, if, if you got a map um, of the Huntsville, Algonquin area, Oxtongue Lake between Huntsville and the, the west gate of Algonquin Park. Yes. Oxtongue Lake, there's a Algonquin Outfitters. So you can start there, and then you paddle to Huntsville. Yep. Yes. To the Algon- Algonquin Outfitters there. Yeah. And it's all it all revolves around the Algonquin Outfitter yeah, yeah. outlets. Then from, Ox- uh, sorry, from Huntsville, you've got to paddle up back into the park. 
okay. via a total different route and all the way to the north end to Cedar Lake to the Brent store. And there's a lot of lakes here. This Which is, is a lot of travel. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're talking some big, like you're the Muskoka River, you're talking the Big East River. Yes. McCraney, uh, Little McCraney, Rain Lake, Ralph Bice, David, Moboyaka. Um, so which section is the longest? Does this one look like it's the longest? You know what? I would think the Huntsville to Brent is the longest. Mm-hmm. And it is the most difficult uh, because the water levels in the uh, Big East and blow down, stuff like that across yeah. the river, that sort of stuff. Uh, so then you end up at Brent, way up at the north end of Algonquin. And then from Brent, you cruise down to Opiongo, which is the biggest lake in Algonquin, right? Like the big one on the western, midwestern side? Yes. Because that's not really center. There's a big trout and that's up through there, right? The Huntsville to Brent route is the longest. Yeah. Um, then you end up down at the, the Outfitter store at Opiongo. Yes. Then you go south of Highway 60 from there. Yeah, you're kind of basically running along Highway 60 route. Yeah, but just south of it. Yeah. And then all the way back to Oxtongue Lake. Yes. And then you finish the route. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's, that's all. But along that route, those four different sections, there are um, criteria, things you must do. Yeah, and it's like the great back to the original guys who, who created this thing. Yeah. So you must follow the, the official route. There is an official route. You can't yes. just, you know, whatnot. And they ask you to take a picture of the portage signs to prove that you did the route, yeah. that yada, yada, yeah. yada. Uh, now, yeah, the official route, the complete section in a single trip, exception from Huntsville to Brent, which could be done in two parts, Huntsville to Rain, then Rain to, to Brent. But I think most people just do Huntsville straight up to Brent. Yeah. Right? And... You can go either direction. So you can start at Huntsville, go to Oxtongue, Opiongo, Brent, back to Ox to, uh, Huntsville, mm-hmm. or Huntsville, Brent, Opiongo, Oxtongue, and Huntsville. Either direction, doesn't matter. You can do a section at a time, two, three sections at a time, as long as you do the whole route. If you don't do the whole route, you're not considered as having done it. Mm-hmm. You've done a section, but you haven't done the link. Yeah. Right? No solo trips, and that's strictly for a safety that's, reason. Yeah, that they don't which, want people getting out there alone and getting themselves hurt. But you know what? Like, I've done long solo trips, and there's parts of these, this link that I have done solo. Yeah. So I could actually say I have done part of this route solo. Yeah. But because no solo trips are allowed. Yes. Right. So, and, and it does make sense from a safety perspective because if you're going to be doing this route, you tend you're probably going to be doing it at a higher rate or a higher yeah. pace, right? I think they need, and there's a liability issue if you're going to if you're saying I'm doing the meanest link solo, and then it's like there there could be a liability thing for Algonquin Outfitters involved there. Well, I think at that point you're you're saying you know what you're taking this upon yourself, mm-hmm. and it will not count as a meanest link. Yeah. If you take less than X amount of days. Yeah. You must take at least two weeks to do this link. Put it, put some yeah. sort of stipulation on it. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people I know that go solo. Exactly, yeah. That would love to do this. Yeah. But they're automatically disqualified if... Yeah, exactly. I, like I say, I would already have the... Um, good portions good of the Good portion done, of it yeah. done if, yeah. if solo was allowed. 
take pictures of the portage signs to prove you did it. Yes. You have to use the same self-propelled watercraft for the whole section. So for you the can't, whole section or the yeah, whole loop? The For the whole section, for the whole link, if you are doing a continuous loop, paddlers using anything but a canoe will be scoffed at. <laughs> so, yeah, so... I think that's just to stop people from stashing a canoe. Like the... Is there Dixon Bonfield? Is which one is? Yeah. There? Oh, the Dixon Bonfield. So yeah. if you were dropped a canoe on one side and just kind of jogged to the next side then and picked up into another another canoe. canoe just to save weight, then it's kind of cheap. So you don't have to portage a couple exactly. of canoes across. Yeah. yeah, that's cheating. Uh, you have to. You can travel as fast or as slow as you like. It's not a race. Safety is of paramount importance. Travel carefully. And what else did I miss here? When paddling the Brent to Okeyongo uh, yes. leg, the party must stop at mean. Now, meanest is, is it Bill Swift? He was known as the meanest dude. Yes, I think. Right? Yeah. Uh, his fa- You have to stop at his favorite site on Lake Lavalier. Mm-hmm. And you must have a particular refreshing beverage at said site. Mm-hmm. Um. For more information on rules nine and ten, please contact Meanest, Meanest Link Advisory Board at Oxton Lake. <laughs> Gord Baker will tell you what uh, what and where. Yeah. When paddling the Opiongo to Oxton Lake sections, you must go up the Little Madawaska to Source Lake, stop at Cap Pathfinder, Camp Pathfinder, in order to pay your respects to the place where it all began for Meanest in Algonquin Park. That's cool. So there's criteria that you have to follow in yeah. order to say, yeah. yeah, you know what, I have officially done. It's a pretty loose set of rules. It it's is. It's all meant in fun. It's it's all meant for enjo- enjoying the route, the trip. You know what, and there's people that say, well, why are you racing to the park to do this? Why are you trying to do this so fast? And what? I mean, it's just like the Brent Run, when I did the yeah. Brent Run. Yeah. It's, it's like, why are you trying to do this up and back yeah. so fast? Well, you know what, why I do paddled you... that route yeah. so many times Yeah. that, you know what, I'm going to see how fast I can do it. But when you start asking the whys, 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 it's like you, you don't even ask Sucking that question. Sucking the fun out of it. Why, why do you do a marathon? What, yeah. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, so the meanest link. So hopefully, the reason we bring this up to begin with. And and our earlier conversation kind of, no, I haven't talked to the guys yet, but. <laughs> plans. We know three guys that are going on it. Yes. And I was invited, but unfortunately I won't be able to go yeah. next year. And I threw your name into the hat. And I immediately said yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> you were three sheets to the wind. And well, no, I was, was three sheets to the wind. You were three sheets to the wind, and it was like, you thought it was a Kickstarter and somebody was selling you something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like I've, I've always wanted to do the meanest yeah. link, right? And uh, so uh, when uh, when Johnny Stinson, he contacted me there, what, was it last night or the night before last? Anyways, he contacted me mm-hmm. just yesterday or something. Yesterday. Yeah. yeah. And, days uh, ago, yeah. and I said, yeah. And I <laughs> said... It's like, oh, I do. Well, we're discussing. You'd it already tonight. talked about John Van Berger and and hopping doing, on the Yukon journey, finishing doing the uh, the second half, the second half of the Yukon journey with him next year. That's right. Which is, it's going to be approximately four weeks long. Yeah, it's there's like, only so many vacation days. I in the know. Year. <laughs> so many, so much time off you can get approval for yes. from the wife. So, well, the thing is, and speaking of the wife, is uh, if I do both the meanest link. And the Yukon journey. I get a new host. I don't have, I don't have any time left to go vacation with the family. 
families are overrated. I, I guess we could do just weekend trips. Because, yeah, cause, <laughs> oh, we're supposed, you got to do the, the Minas Link and then the Yukon Journey and then out to Nevada to do Burning Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's another two weeks or three weeks, two weeks. Yeah. You got a busy summer next year. Oh, no. So what? That's June yeah, Minas Link. Yeah. June Minas Link, July, Yukon Journey. August, August Burning, Man. Burning Man. But Burning Man also has the the extra added bonus of sand dune kayaking. Yes, yes. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, make it all relevant so to the show. There's all paddling involved <laughs> yes. in all, all the months. June, July, and August. Yes. In all different parts of the world. Yeah. And then I can't even take vacation at Christmas. <laughs> I hate Christmas anyway, so Christmas is overrated. That would be uh that would be a tough summer to uh try and record the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have gonna, to get a new host. Get a guest host for yeah. six weeks. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking for a guest host. How long? Oh six. four months. Because <laughs> <laughs> in case Derek doesn't make it back. Might be longer. Yeah. So yeah, we'll have so to play by ear. I get a message Johnny now and say, listen, there might be a, a ripple or a wrinkle in our plans. Well, wait to find out when you hear from John. Yeah, uh, yeah. To find out when he's planning on exactly. doing I thought he was doing it at the beginning of the season as I well. I sent him a message. I haven't heard back from him yet. So <laughs> you could be a busy boy next year. Yes. Yikes. So, yeah, Derek might be doing the uh, Minus Link next year. And if not, then we'll definitely have a, another group to talk about the Minus Link when yes, they're done next exactly. year. exactly. And that'll be worth it. I really yeah. want to go, but now I'm kind of stressed Yeah, I wanted to do it for a while, but there's time. other... Yeah. Other trips that... Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny. When you told Johnny that you couldn't make it because of Burning Man... And then he contacted me and, and I said, hey, I might be going to Minas Link. And you said, yeah, I couldn't go. He asked me, but I couldn't go because of Burning Man. It's like, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you at Burning Man. <laughs> well, and, and then right after I'm back from Burning Man, we're heading to uh, Nashville and Memphis. Yeah. Well, we're doing our 25th wedding yeah. anniversary down there, but I'm looking to do some paddling down there as well. <laughs> and I'll tell you where I can get it. Um so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a busy summer next oh, year. Holy cow, is it ever. I wonder if they can put all this off till 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pencil you in for three years from now. Yeah, exactly. I'll get back. I'll have my people call you. <laughs> <laughs> so, one way or the other, you know, if it does go through next year with or without us, yeah. the meanest link, then... We'll you know still what? be able to interview them. Yeah, and they're yeah. just around our area. So, yeah. we'll just have them, we'll have them over here for a couple of beers. And yeah, then that'd be awesome. We'll talk about their trip, see how different it was... Exactly. From yeah. the other one, yeah. right? Because everybody's experiences are different when you go we'll on a trip. We get an audio trip report from them. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So to move on from that. Do you want to take a break here? No, no. We'll talk about this one, then we'll take a break. Okay. Episode 47, because we talked about episode 118. We've talked about episode 29. So let's go to episode 47. Okay. Episode 47, we talked about the differences between canoe tripping in the early 1900s versus canoe tripping today. Oh, okay. Right? Yep. And we love to read trip logs and see, you know, people have done this on this trip and that on this trip. And and again, you know, like what? how different is it from way back then, like 118 years ago Yeah. versus, you know, like today, canoe tripping? How much of a difference is there in? So I was flipping through some things, and I think it was Quetico. 
uh, provincial park. They actually mm-hmm. had a little thing about this book that came out in September. Border Country, the Northwoods Canoe Journal of Howard Green, 1906 to 1916 by Martha Green Phillips. So in the summer of 1906, Howard Green from Milwaukee, he's a businessman, set out with his sons and some friends and their kids, I guess, to camp in the north woods of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, and Canada. It was the first of several month-long journeys Howard Green and the gang, I guess that's what they called them, would make over the years. Each detailed in remarkable handmade journals and documented in hundreds of large format photographs. Apparently he took a big, one of those big box cameras with the hoods and everything. The big frames that you in and out and and darkness, all that sort of stuff. So not only are you in canvas tents and heavy woolen, this, that, the other thing. He had this big ass camera (laughs) with him, right? So he took all these things and his journals apparently. Now there was, there is a little, um... Uh, radio interview mm-hmm. that this guy did with with Martha Green. So Howard Green's her dad. Yep. So he did this interview with her talking about it, and he said she says these journals that he did of the trips, these trip logs, were so detailed, like down to the food they eat, who cooked, who slept with who in which tents. Wow. Like everything was detailed in these journals, right? Huh. And again, with with all the, the pictures and started like the large format photos and all that, she collected it all and just shopped around it. She said in the interview that, you know, it's kind of hard to get anything published these days. Yes. But I think it was Minnesota University uh, helped get it um, published. That's awesome. Right? So it's 408 pages, 376 pages. Black and white photos. It's nine inches nine by, by ten. ten so inch. it's like a coffee table it's book. It's like a coffee table book. So these handmade journals documented hundreds of large format photographs, reproduced with a large selection of the photographs, maps, journals. And it basically tells you everything that they did in this Northland wood wilderness and on these these trips that they did. And the thing is, is you thinking back, and we've even talked about it, man, could you imagine the what it was like back then with the, you know, all the trees and you had to find your way, you know, the portages weren't like they were today, but she's saying, no, even at that time with the logging and everything that was going on, there was stuff already vanishing. Oh yeah. Everything wasn't like you would think it would be right. Well, back then, like we protect stuff now, but Mm -hmm. back then it was a free for all. Yeah. Like there was, it was the, uh, it was the wild, wild west for the frontier lands, right? People were just, Business was everything. There's this one guy that her dad met mm-hmm. who had some land where the loggers were trying to get to. And mm-hmm. he was, there was a land war sort of thing going okay, on between yeah. this guy and the loggers. Mm-hmm. And at one point when he was away, they came through where the, the river, this river narrowed. Yeah. And they blew it up huh. to make it wider. On his property. Yeah. So this was a big deal. This yeah. sort of things, the underhanded things they were doing and stuff huh. like that, right? So they, yeah, just listen to that. So just thinking about this book, it's like, this would show you exactly what it looked like back in the day, yeah. you know, and what they were doing and get a real feel 
you'd see the tents, the yeah. canoes they had. Yeah, the gear. And like I say, with the journals, how, how detailed it sounds like you kept it. Mm-hmm. So the book is introduced, annotated by uh, Martha Green. And the observant narratives run rapids, uh, portage, paddle lakes, rivers, including the Chippewa, Wisconsin, St. Croix, and Presqu'ile, as well as traveling in areas now known as Quetico Provincial Park and, and the Boundary, Boundary waters. waters. Yeah. Along the way, uh, Green, uh, Howard Green, the dad, a skilled photographer, captures images of logging and mining, primitive dams, and even more primitive camping, trading posts, many remote Native American villages. Through it all runs the story of family friendships forged over campfires in the North Woods, reported with dry wit, keen eye for detail, and an abiding interest in the natural world. Apparently he was a fabulous photographer and humorous. Very humorous. That's pretty impressive. Right? Uh, contain, and this is the big thing that she has actually said in the uh, in the interview as well. This was made like decades before guys like Sigurd Olsen, Calvin Rutstrom, that began documenting okay. the wildlife. You know, like, I mean, that's a big thing. Oh, Sigur, Sigurd Olsen. And these journals were for himself. He never planned on publishing. No, he no, didn't plan on. No, it's his on, daughter who did it. Yeah. Yeah, and like years and years later, right? Mm-hmm. So this is all caught on the verge of becoming what the Northwoods are that we yeah. know today in northern Michigan and all that sort of thing, right? Um, so border back, sorry, border country, the Northwoods Canoe Journals of Howard Green, 1906 to 1916. I do believe it came out September 2017 was when it was published. Uh, you, you Google it and you'll you'll find it, but yeah, I just found it on Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's on Google Books. It's yeah. in about fifteen different places. But uh, I'm thinking of uh, maybe ordering a copy. I think I'm it's order- like five, thirty-five bucks or something like that. I'm ordering one now. You're ordering it right now, aren't you? <laughs> Order two. <laughs> it's they're forty-six bucks a pop. Forty-six bucks U.S. or Canadian? Canadian. Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah, everywhere I saw it was thirty-five bucks uh, U.S. Right. Mm-hmm. So, excuse us while we take a moment from our show. <laughs> I'm shopping. <laughs> to, to do a little shopping. <laughs> oh, that'd look great on you. <laughs> I have to... Ch- I'm, oh, look I'm at just, those shoes. And be able to wait till after. I want to check to make sure it's a new copy and not a... Uh, a, a used? used? Yeah, because... Okay. Yeah. But I mean, from 2017, who's going to sell one that fast? I yeah, think. that's true. Yeah. Anyway, so check out Border Country, the Northwoods Canoe Journals of Howard Green, 1906 to 1916. Especially if you'd like to see the pictures from the beginning of the 1900s when it comes to canoe tripping and that sort of thing. And getting some good trip logs and stuff like that on what it was actually like. So let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about the canoe mobile. Seriously. (laughs) Like a snowmobile? Nah, different. (laughs) Hey, this is Sean Rowley, and you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. To find out more about us, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line on Facebook or our website. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. 
Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So, Derek, while we were on break, what did we do? <laughs> we, we, uh... We're shopping! Yes, so... As I was joking, and I was getting distracted during the Border Country Northwoods Canoe Journals of Howard Green, uh, we bought two books. <laughs> Book club. Yeah, I bought them on Amazon, and uh, they're being shipped to Sean's house. So in about 30 years, if anybody's looking for a crisp, unbroken copy... I'll have that one. <laughs> Derek will have that one. But no, this is a... Uh, I like pictures. Pictures. <laughs> <laughs> So this is a coffee I table book. I'll, I'll, I'll look. I'll review this one. I'll read this I one. I can look at the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then I can color them because they're black and white pictures. Exactly. <laughs> yes, we went shopping. Yes. So as discussed, uh, there is a company called Wilderness Inquiry. Uh, WildernessInquiry.org. They're in the States. Yes. The purpose of this is connecting you with nature and other people through shared outdoor adventures. Okay. So Wilderness Inquiry creates unforgettable outdoor adventures for people like you. <laughs> we operate it throughout North America and around the globe. Now, when I looked at their map, they just showed stuff across the states, but that was in connection with this thing I'm going to talk about, Canoe Mobile. Okay. Canoe Mobile, Canoe Mobile, Mobile. So is it available in Canada? It looked like it's I guess it is available the, in Canada. You can just say call them the up globe. and say, hey, mm-hmm. come on up, right? Yeah. Wilderness Choir mission is to connect people from all walks of life to the natural world through shared outdoor adventures. It's all about access, inclusion, and opportunity. We believe exploration of the natural world is a birthright we all share, and we act on that belief. We operate in a manner that facilitates full participation by everyone, including people who come from different physical, cultural, and socioeconomic places. We believe in the power of community. Okay, this is right from their website. Yes. I took that because, you know, that's what we do. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, it, it's pretty cool, though. You, you're seeing it. And I, I, I saw this and uh, thought, you know, this is pretty cool. Let's check into it, right? Because the first thing I saw was these massive Voyager canoes filled with kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, that looks interesting. So I checked this out and it led me to these guys. So they say Share the Adventure is more than just a slogan. As a nonprofit organization, they conduct programs that introduce people of all ages and backgrounds and abilities to the outdoors in a positive, life-changing way. Their programs provide opportunities for urban youth, families, and people with disabilities to discover and share many benefits of the outdoor experience, which is cool because when I first moved to Toronto, the number of people I knew or met Mm -hmm. that have never been outdoors, like on a canoe trip. I know, it's incredible, eh? Hugely incredible. Like to me, I just took it for granted. Yeah. You go out paddling, you go out camping, you go out hiking, you go out into the woods, you go out nature. And the same way, like it's, uh, I've always been an outdoors type person. I, I grew up in the country and it's sort of become a way of life for me, right? And uh, it amazes me when I talk about canoeing and camping and and at work and it's like people are like, they, they it's like I got two heads. It's like, what? You go out middle of nowhere with mm-hmm. just a canoe and a tent? It's like, uh, yeah, what are you talking about? Like, it's just amazes me how limited some people are. They... 
their idea of a fun weekend is, you know, a pack of smokes, a, a, a two, four and go to the cottage type thing. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know. I, I five star camping at the local hotel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of deal. Yeah. It's, I don't know. There's people have seemed to have gotten disconnected and I think this here, this program is a fantastic opportunity to introduce the youths of the world, the youths, youths, introduce the kids at a young age and get them out and experiencing it. I think it, it's a de- huge developmental opportunity for, for anybody, right? Yeah. So the Canoe Mobile, I mean, first off, it's a nonprofit organization. So all proceeds that come in from the trips and events and donations go back into the programs, developing yeah. them. And it is, uh, so the Canoe Mobile is a floating classroom that brings students out on local waterways in 24-foot Voyager canoes to learn about science, history, geography, and culture. The on-water experience is often enriched with land-based learning activities developed and facilitated by organizations such as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, National Park Service, and hundreds of other government nonprofits that they they organize with and say, hey, yes. here's what we're doing. Are you interested? And they, and they organize stuff. The uh, Canoe Mobile brings classroom learning outside, engaging the youth to improve school performance, cultivate a stewardship ethic, and create pathways to pursue educational and career opportunities in the outdoors. Which I'll get into that part later because how they get link all this together is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Because you're thinking, okay, well, we're getting a bunch of kids from grade five to go out in these canoes. We're going to paddle, uh, you know, for sake of, of our area, we're going to paddle up and down Duffins Creek. And we're going to see, you know, there's there's dragonflies and there's the flowers. Yeah. And, you know, here's the whole environment here's the of the area. Of and here's area. the history of the area, yeah. that sort of thing. But then they take it even further to the point of university and college. Yeah, so it's it's a longer program, so you can participate through it. Like you could start at the age of five and end up, you know, you just keep doing these summer programs or seasonal programs, and it, it keeps going for as, as long as you want. Yeah, yeah. So the canoe mobile travels around the country. Like I say, everything I saw is is the United States on the big map, but they say they do it worldwide. Yeah, and a diverse array of students that have the, that get the chance to experience, uh, you know, outdoor the best outdoor field trip. Right, uh, offers free and open to the public paddles as well. These experiences change waterways into places of recreation, learning, and community building. From San Francisco to the Bronx, communities welcome Canoe Mobile to serve more than thirty thousand youths and adults of all backgrounds and abilities each year. That's huge. That's impressive. That is huge. And I was looking at the map, and I'm like, all along the East Coast, Michigan. Indiana, Illinois, Georgia, yeah. Minnesota, Ohio, straight out through Colorado, Utah, and right out to California. It's pretty. It, it's pretty cool. So um, they give an overview of this. So what they say they they of course it's led by Wilderness Inquiry. You know they're trained personnel that sort of stuff. What they deliver: floating classroom to facilitate hands-on applied learning. Paddle and safety instruction in preparation for canoe trips. Activities with environmental, cultural, and historical themes. Six handmade 24-foot Voyager canoes, paddles, and safety gear. Educational materials that support curriculum and meet state standards. And a fun and informative experience for hundreds of kids each day. 
this is what they do. So you yeah. basically you contact them and say, hey, you know what? We're interested in this. Here's what we are. What can you do yeah. for us? And they say, well, here's what's in your area. Big one, they, they, they have a whole bunch of different examples on their site. Mm-hmm. Like the Mississippi is the big one. That's doing date stuff through there and you know, yeah. they, that sort of stuff. Uh, if you like, I say if you go to wildernessinquiry.org, you'll you'll find a whole bunch of more information than we can say on our our, our podcast here. This is an amazing program. I I think this is very impressive that somebody's created this and designed this program for youth. And this was was started in 1978. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Like, it's going on forever, and, yeah. and it's amazing. That we haven't heard about it sooner. So the benefits engage thousands of undeserved under sorry un underserved urban urban youth youth in the outdoors increase academic achievement through place-based learning okay connect youth through to educational and career opportunities across the outdoor sector offer resources curriculum support and professional development opportunities for teachers and inspire the next generation to enjoy explore and protect public lands and that's important yes that's hugely important yeah so they have five steps um, from the beginning to the end that they, that they would like, they'd love all kids to do. Yeah. So the first step is the introduction. Students participate in introductory day experience, uh, focused on place-based learning, outdoor rack, that sort of thing. So canoeing, water quality, testing, fishing, wildlife identification, hiking, and more. So you get them out in the canoes and they yeah. see, oh, look, there's the frogs and here's what kind of frog it is. And those are bulrushes and these are this and yeah. look at the birds and these are trees, that sort of stuff. Number two is engagement. So you go from the day thing to an overnight camping experience in parks close to home. And they provide hands-on growth and skill building while connecting youth to their communities, schools, parks, cultural history, the youth set up camps, hike, cook outdoors, build a fire, sleep in tents, that sort of thing, right? Uh, basically what we used to do in Cub Scouts. Yeah. Number three, immersion, multi-day trips. So, you know, experiences in the state national parks farther from home provide enhanced understanding and appreciation of nature's resources and motivate civic and environmental stewardship. Number four is internships. So you can see where it's just building. Yeah, you right? can see. Yeah, it's building a developmental process. So Wilderness Inquiries Outdoor Careers Council is a growing partnership of over thirty-five member organizations, representing more than fifteen hundred summer jobs and internships. That's huge. Huge, massive. These opportunities enhance college and career readiness and develop leadership skills. So you've gone from like a, say like a, like I say for like a grade five student. Yeah, you're now basics. you're bringing them right up to high yeah. school, the end of high school, getting them ready for college university. Yeah. Number five, education and employment. Two and four year college and universities provide scholarship opportunities for students engaged in this program. Youth who progress through this model will be prepared to pursue pursue a career in the outdoor industry. <laughs> That's perfect. So I mean. From going way back to, you know, when you were a kid in school, doing a, you know, your your school brought these big canoes in. Yeah, it's just Somebody said, hey, let's, we're going to take you out stuff, in the canoe. Go, we'll teach yeah. you about frogs and birds and plants. And mm-hmm. you found it really interesting. And it is, it's it's in the urban setting. Yeah. As opposed to being sent away for a couple of weeks to summer camp. Yes. Right? So you get into these things and you think, hey, that's pretty cool. Well, let's look into something mm-hmm. bigger for next year or the following year or whatever. 
and then you end up like just an overnighter at the local park, and yeah. then you get into bigger and bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, it you got some career. Yeah, and, and like it's for everybody, but it seems to be geared towards people like we like they said in an urban setting. So people yeah. who wouldn't normally be open to an opportunity like this, right? Exactly. So you're in in city centers and core core areas, and and you don't necessarily have the access to go canoeing, you know, like like we've made it a lifestyle, but a lot of kids they never have, have that, that opportunity. They don't. Well, I've have got it. a buddy that I used to take canoe tripping, and uh, he never gone out before. Well, that's been since early late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, yeah. Before the first time he ever took a canoe mm-hmm. trip, and he was like, "Wow." Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so never had the opportunity. Yeah. And this HERE program gives kids the opportunity. Gives them a taste for it. You yeah. Know? And even if they're not into the canoeing, at least they're maybe into the environment part of it, right? Yeah. Learning yeah. about the birds and the frogs and the snakes you're and trying the plants to protect. and, you know, erosion and yeah. keeping the, the waters clean and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. So go check out wildernessinquiry.org. Uh, check out the Canoemobile mobi- canoe they do have a lot of other programs there as well. Yes. I just, you know, zeroed in on this one automatically because, like I say, you see these pictures of these all these kids. There must be 100 kids in each canoe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're small. You can pack as many in as you want, right? Pack them, stack them. Pack them in like sardines. <laughs> uh, you know, going yeah, going right down through the middle of a city and they're checking out the, the, the waterways and what's going on at the sides yeah. and stuff like that, right? So check it out, wildernessinquiry.org. They've been around since 1978, and uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. And uh, yeah, you know what? Maybe bring them to Canada and try something out. Yes. Like I say, you look at the big map they have on their site, and it's, it, yeah, it is across the United mm-hmm. States. I think that's where they're they're mainly based through yeah. there, right? I think it's uh, Minnesota is their main one, and there's another one in Boston. Okay. Um but yeah, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're based there. So of course that's where it's really going to be centralized there, but they have stuff through September and October on their, on their site dates mm-hmm. of, of places that are doing stuff all through the States. That's impressive. It really is impressive. It's a really nice program. So check it out. Give it a, give it a whirl. Uh, I think that's it. That's all we have that's for today. That's it for this week, man. Wound down another show. There we go. We, I was like, uh, what? Episodes 118, 29, 49. 47. Yeah. Uh, this has been the... <laughs> a retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> Paddling Adventures retrospective. <laughs> so, anyway, if you want to find out more about Paddling Adventures Radio, you can find more about us, Sean and Derek, on PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you want to listen to this episode and... 130 others (laughs) you can find us on itunes or google play player fm that sort of stuff for android or you can download them or stream them directly from our paddlingadventuresradio.com site there's a little episode tab at the top just click that and it'll bring all of them up and uh, listen to whichever one you want whichever order you want i'd like to thank everybody for listening this week i'm sean roley and i'm derek spest we'll see you next time